Aaron and I want to start with a really big, heartfelt first bite thank you. We have been so encouraged by your kind word, your messages, your glowing reviews of First Bite. This has been a labor of love for the last year and a half, and we we are grateful for y'all being on the First Bite journey with us and supporting us because we I mean, we work full time and this is this is a full time gig on top of it. And we do it with joy because we understand that the world of early intervention pediatrics needs evidence in it. So we sweet talked the folks with speechtherapypd.com. And as a thank you giveaway, we have come up with a, a, a free pod course subscription. So once we hit 130 iTunes written reviews, we're going to pull another name out of the hat, probably with the assistance of an ever so handsome goose and a bear. And that person will get a free PodCourse subscription. So over 175 hours of continuing ed plus 19 new continuing hours each month. And there's a new episode every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, every other Thursday, and the short course, nine series long, all things ethics with Elise. And that's our way of giving back. So thank you. So please keep the reviews coming. We only have a few more to go, but once we hit 130, then we will pull that name out of a hat. Happy 2020. Thank you for joining us on the journey. And Seriously, y'all rock. Thank you. Hey, so by now, I'm hoping that you've heard about the brand new PodCore subscription that Speech Therapy PD has rolled out. For $79 a month, you get over 175 hours of ASHA continuing education with 19 new episodes a month. That's fantastic. Well, they want to make sure that you also know we have a brand new coupon code. So the coupon code is F as in first, B as in bite, followed by the number 20, FB20. And that brand new coupon code will give you $20 off the PodCourse subscription. So you get 175 hours of continuing ed plus an average of 19 new hours a month, all for $59 a year. And we cover everything from early intervention to schools to adults to ethics. So be sure to type in F as in first, B as in bite, and then the number's 20. Enjoy your coupon, or as my kin folks say, enjoy that coupon. Hi folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional a speech therapy podcast sponsored by speechtherapypd.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina and a guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate by way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. 
In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields, or as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy, joy, and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee Byway of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. So today's episode falls in the fun and functional categories, uh, and it's going to be a hoot because today we have Mr. Morgan Mitchell, and he's the senior recruiter for Elevation Healthcare, and I just love him to pieces, um, probably because we've basically spent the last several Valentine's Day inadvertently together at the Skisha Convention, and um, bless his heart, him and his sweet coworkers, they always bring roses for each attendee. And if you haven't picked up on it by now, I am a sucker for flowers. So Morgan and his crew for the win. Who? <laughs> um, you know, they it really does. It, Morgan, it's those sweet little moments. Like when we walk around the corner and there you guys are passing out flowers from, what did you have this time? A mop bucket? That's correct. That's <laughs> yeah. correct. A nice red uh, mop bucket uh, found <laughs> at six in the morning uh, on the CVS uh, cleaning aisle uh, right before uh, Skisha got started. That's that's perfect. Wait, and the best, y'all, the lovely CVS attendant was so worried that Morgan was going to give um, his girlfriend roses and a mop bucket. What did she like encourage you to get something different? Yeah, she was very concerned. Uh, it was the day before Valentine's, as you mentioned. And um, I walked in, I asked if they had any sort of vases, anything that I might be able to use to keep the flowers good, you know, all day long. And um, she said, no, check the cleaning aisle, put the bucket on the uh, register. And she goes, you're not giving your girlfriend flowers in this bucket, are you? And I said, no, ma'am, no, ma'am. But she was very concerned about that. So I, I, I appreciate uh, her looking out for me. Yes, yes. As did all, what was it, like six or 700 females in attendance that you guys You guys like flowers. To. You guys like flowers. Yeah, I mean, that's that's one way to rock a skisha. See, I'm not just pitching skisha, skisha for no reason, folks. You really should come join us for a convention. Oh, okay, so anywho, yeah, we have basically inadvertently spent um, the last several conventions together. And when I am away from my Pack Dawson family, that little something pretty, it picks my spirits up when I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off. So thank you, Morgan. You're welcome. Okay. So to squirrel number one, ladies and gents. Okay. So to get us back to why we're actually here today, it's because I wanted to tackle something that has always left me curious and in a conundrum. 
And it was simply, well, it's like 400 questions, but what is a contract job really like? Is it a job of last resorts? Are all contract folks just headhunters out to make money on me? Do I really count? Would I be valued as an individual? Would my skill set be valued? And in short, when I was coming through, it was just that general feeling of, for job hunting. And I have had several friends actually take travel jobs to start a new chapter in their lives. And they have loved every minute of it. And I'll be honest, I have secretly loved following their Instagram post of all their amazing pictures when they're off on their adventures. And some of these folks, yes, they do end up moving every three months, but others have stayed in some of their positions for years. And others have shared how much they absolutely love crushing their student loan debts by doing a contract position. And we have all heard some of the horror stories that some of our other friends have experienced. But let me be perfectly clear. None of the horrible experiences that I have heard have ever occurred from any of my coworkers that have, our coworkers, colleagues um, that have taken positions with Morgan and his crew. And it's basically all sunshine and rainbows when it's over there because um, they're based out of Charleston, which is basically the Paris of the Southeast United States. So literally, (laughs) yeah, sunshine, sunshine, rainbows, maybe a hurricane. There is a concern for earthquakes, but sunshine. (laughs) So we've all heard about the stories on the rumor mill, and we've also all heard really good experiences. But I wanted to get some insight from an inside man and Morgan and his roses. And did I mention that they have an office puppy? Um, you seem like the perfect guy to talk to. So, Morgan, hello. 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 And how, uh, I have so many questions. Like, how did you get into doing this? But like, can we start with the puppy? What is can its start name? With the puppy. So, <laughs> uh, Mally is our new office dog slash mascot and uh our co-worker uh robbie um likes to uh duck hunt uh among other things but he um was looking for a, a breed and uh made his mind up on a standard poodle uh so mally the standard poodle has uh has entered our office certainly part of the team uh What's it, Thursday? She's been in the office four days now. So she's uh, new to us, uh, feeling us out. We're feeling her out. Um, I know Robbie's not slept much this week. Uh, so uh, it's been good. We're, we're happy to have her in the office with us. Okay, so that's basically like a newborn. Is Robbie a dad? Does he have Rob- children? Robbie is not a dad. <laughs> um, so I think this is, uh, you know, he's had, a, he's had dogs before obviously, but Mally is new and young and uh, likes to pee everywhere. <laughs> yes. So, okay. So, um, Ravi, you now are responsible for the next round of carpet cleaning. <laughs> just, just saying. We'll be offering okay. uh, carpet cleaning supplies at Skishin. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so to go with the mop bucket. Oh, that's, that's, uh, that's going to win you some ladies right there is what that's going to do. <laughs> Oh my God. Okay. So how in the world did you go get into like hiring contract folks? Because y'all 
Y'all do more than just SLPs, correct? That is correct. Uh, we work with a, a number of different disciplines, uh, PTs, OTs, psychologists, for example. Um, I would say that speech language pathologists make up one of the disciplines that make up the majority of, of our company, but also in terms of uh, the most in-demand discipline roles I am trying to fill. Uh, the majority of them are also uh, for the speech language pathologist. So um, we've been in business for about 14 years now. Okay. I, I knew it'd been as long as I'd known you, but I've been in South Carolina seven years now. So, um, yep. Yep. Okay. So you're from Columbia. So you're a Cola Town person and you transplanted to Charleston via how, where, Sure. Yeah. So I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. Um, I found my way to the College of Charleston and uh, knew rather quickly um, that's a place that I was looking to stay uh, for the foreseeable future of my life. Um, I am not a clinician. Um, I do not have a therapy background uh, personally and really, frankly, came upon um, our agency uh, via a classic networking story. Um, my coworker, Robbie, who I mentioned previously, and I both served uh, on a board through the College of Charleston. At the time, I was representing the student perspective, Robbie, an alumni, and I ended up uh, interning uh, with Robbie and our owner, Stan, uh, while I was wrapping up my degree. Uh, worked hard and was lucky enough to be brought on board full-time um, after uh, I received my degree. And I'm um, coming up on a seven-year anniversary uh, with Elevation now. Nice. Oh, that's I love that. Classic folks, networking is, story. Yes, absolutely. And folks, this is why volunteer work, advocacy, board engagement. I mean, you never know how it's going to turn around and bless your own stars when you're in the process of advocating for others. So, And in your um, job search, perhaps. Yes, yes. I, I, That's very true because most of us know a guy who knows a guy or a girl who knows a girl. Sure. And, Life. Yes. Okay. I always wondered. That was general curiosity. And so now we know all about um, Miss, is it Mally or Mallory? Mally, as in Mally. for Mallard duck. Mally. But it's a poodle. Do they actually duck hunt? They're actually, um, I, I can't speak uh, from personal knowledge, but Robbie is pretty thrilled and has done plenty of research on duck hunt. <laughs> Please let him know all I could see when I saw that was my kid sister's poodle when she was a little girl and she named him Fluffy Pierre Scruff Bubba. And we just got <laughs> the poodle Bubba for short. <laughs> well, I mean, it grew up in Wyatt Oak, Virginia. We were all happy the poodle had all of its teeth. <laughs> I got you. I got you. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. So here we are. All right. So where where do we begin? Because I have so many different questions, but how... If somebody's looking at going into a contract job, how do they actually differentiate employers? Are all companies the same? What it what is where do they start? Sure, sure. That's a great question. And uh, you know, are all are all companies the same? How do you differentiate them? Uh, you know, it's tough. There's a ton of companies out there, and uh, you know, there's a lot of different options available uh, to clinicians, to speech language pathologists, um, not only uh, in terms of 
companies, but obviously settings. Uh, and I know you have experience working in a number of different settings. So, uh, you know, in terms of differentiating, you know, employers, um, first and foremost, in anyone's job search, you know, you need to do some soul searching. It's about where you are in your career, what your interests are, you know, what your needs and wants are. So, um, you know, just to throw a couple of examples out there, you know, there, there are corporate companies, there are public companies, there are private companies. Uh, a corporate company, in my mind, is a large multi-brand um, agency out there. You know, in, in my mind, a public uh, type of employer would be the schools, DHEC. Uh, perhaps you're working in a, a state-run hospital system uh, in your various states. Uh, private uh, employers, that would be the private uh, clinics, perhaps, uh, maybe the um, private practices of the world. Uh, Heartwood Speech, for example, I would include in that. Um, private be, practice, yes. Sure. Um, private agencies such, at all, such as ours, uh, you know, available to uh, job seekers out there as well. So th there's a number of different ways that you can, I guess, differentiate, measure, you know, and compare uh, the different uh, types of employers, you know, out there available to you. That Okay. Folks, when you're going through this and you're actually looking out at the different positions, I would suggest when you're looking for a new job to do, and as Morgan was saying, the soul searching, I would suggest um, looking at the pros and cons of what you want. Because when you're looking at um, a public entity like the public schools or DHEC, a lot of times those hours are set in advance. And when you're looking for a new position, oftentimes it's work-life balance. Um, uh, for anybody listening, if you are in the process of, well, hopefully not in the process of procreation, but if you are in the process of growing your family and or are pregnant and you've never done this before, um, let me be completely honest. You will never miss as much time from work as you do the first three to four years of that tiny human's life because they catch all the things because out of nowhere, your children are randomly licking walls. I trust me, it happens. I have seen my own kids do that. And you're like, what are you doing? And then the, um, uh, in light of the coronavirus, also squirrel, I saw on the news where Corona beer sales have actually dropped because people have um, mistakenly assumed that by drinking Corona beer, you're going to get the coronavirus. And I'm like, ooh, we really need to work on literacy in America. <laughs> but like, that's a conversation for another day. Sure, um, different podcast. <laughs> yes, different podcast. But those are, those are factors that when you're actually looking into the different entities, I would, I would start there. Um, and um, on that note, I did just hear that um, certain states are actually enacting for um, uh, state and federal employees. Certain ones are actually getting a mandatory minimum 12-week maternity and paternity leave, which is, um, yeah, like, all of the new mommies in the room are like, yes, <laughs> but um, probably not going to find it in a private practice. I sure. mean. Because that's just that's a significant amount of overhead. Sure. Some insurance policies will cover that, but those are when you're looking at um, when you're looking at private, public, those kind of things. Just sure. some thoughts. Absolutely. Okay. 
and kind of to to expand on that, you know, there's a number of, like I've mentioned, a number of different things to consider, you know, when weighing options, when weighing pros and cons. And, you know, when it comes to actually evaluating, you know, employers, I think um, first off, questions. Ask as many questions, come prepared, you know, with, with good questions um, to allow for you to kind of get that information. Um, you know, I think things, um, in my opinion, that would be important for me when comparing, um, you know, that I would be inquiring about, you know, turnover. What is the therapist or clinician turnover, you know, with this agency, with this employer? Um, is there a recruiter? I have never asked that. And that's a really good question. Sure. Why is the role available? Has this been created? Did someone pull their hair out and leave because the caseload is 70 and above the state limit, whatever the case may be? Uh, recruiter turnover. Whom are you, whom are you speaking with? Um, why are they in their role? How knowledgeable are they? Uh, I think that can... That can be something um, that I think can factor into, you know, a, a job seeker's decision. Um, you know, having said that, what about administrative turnover? Um, is there a new clinic director every 12 months? Is there uh, a new special education director in there every couple years? Has the special education director, if it's a school-based role, been there for a while? Um, those are some things that I would be uh, asking of, you know, potential employers or at least trying to do my own, you know, research on, um, you know, the culture at the various uh, employer or setting, you know, that position that you're looking into, you know, that hiring process, the onboarding process. Okay. I have a question about sure. that. Okay. So, um, I have, when I was working as an SLPA ish in Virginia, I replaced a, um, SLP that had been there for, I think three years. She was phenomenal. I mean, all I can think of is the poor job that I did in replacing her because I was still going to grad school and I didn't know what she knew because she had her C's and she was knowledgeable and she was new to the world. Yes. Sure. New. Yes. But I mean, we all survived. So go team. Um, but I wondered when I was replacing her because she was in a contract position. I don't know who she worked for, but I just know it was a contract position. She said that the contract company that she worked for was great. The school she had been in previously, not great. And then the school that, you know, that she was working in that I actually kind of took her job um, was um, it was it was wonderful. It was a little slice of heaven. But when you're looking at work culture, that's something that I was afraid of because she encouraged me to look at a contract position. But because I didn't have my C's, it was not a viable option. And I did look. But is that a is I would, I'm concerned about like, what if there's a disjointed work culture? What if with the contract company, there's a healthy, positive work culture, but the place that you're sitting and working in is toxic because I mean, it's not in the same physical building. So how do y'all support, like, how should a contract company support that clinician? You see sure. what I'm saying? Yeah, no, that, that definitely makes sense. And, uh, you know, I think what's important when evaluating employers is, you know, their relationships, you know, a third party employer, their relationships with the clients. You know, if, if I'm working with a clinician in one particular school district and they enjoy working with me, but they've not had a good experience in the school building walls um, for whatever, you know, the reason might be, um, what, what sort of network 
does that employer have available in that area? You know, um, I think that would be something that you could be asking about, um, you know, in terms of setting yourself up for a potential move if need be, you know, if that makes sense. And, you know, it's not always cut and dry. Um, You know, it's not always to where you can, um, you know, what is reality? It it doesn't always work out like you want it to. And sometimes it's not necessarily evident, um, you know, in just an interview process. So um, there's some external, I think, evaluations that while you are assessing potential employers uh, that might allow for you to have a more uh, well-informed, I guess, idea of what you might be getting into. And that, you know, would include um, online reviews about that agency, uh, perhaps public image. Uh, have I, may I speak with a current or former employee in the same district, you know, for example, or, or clinic, for example, uh, you know, what kind of growth opportunities, you know, might be available, uh, there. Wait, but- stop. That's, that's another question. Mm-hmm. Um, Okay, so when <laughs> I just yelled stop. I'm sorry, I got excited. So like that's another question. Like within a a contract company, that's been something that I've always wondered about. We are and I'm going to I'm going to pull a stat here. Um everybody, please make sure that you're um looking at the careers.asha.org page. There is a ton of research on this page. So it's careers.asha.org. Um, there's a couple different ones. There's um, a supply and demand list. There's a salary salary and wage data. See, this is why I don't do articumphonology because I can't say the words. But a lot of people worry about the upward growth and mobility. So just as a frame of reference, and I'm assuming that there's going to be a lot of new um, – excuse me, um, potential CF candidates listening. So I'm going to take a second to like tailor this to you. All right. On the website, ASHA does a health survey for salaries every year. Well, basically like every other year. So the 2019 survey said that uh, the median student debt for SLPs in healthcare, if you get an annual salary, the median student debt is $40,000. Okay. Uh, The median salary of all of the participants of, um, and this is the health one. This is not the schools one. I'll have to go back and pull the schools one. The median annual salary was 78,000. Sounds fantastic. But for years of experience for a fresh SLP, it's around $66,000. So that's one to three years. When you hit 19 to 21 years, you're looking at a median salary of $100,000. Please note that is across the um, uh, nation. And you can anticipate that like when you go to the Midwest and to the Southeast, those numbers drop because of cost of living goes down. Okay. So that's, and, and this, um, this analysis is great because it actually goes through and, and what I have found is that as a profession, we, and maybe it's just because we're predominantly female and Morgan, this is just me kind of talking outside the box, but like, we don't always educate our colleagues and our younger clinicians about how to lean in and ask these questions, which is why I'm so grateful that like you took the time to do this because we have to build each other up. But is there upward mobility within a contract company? Because when you're looking at those numbers, like how does that work? 
Sure. That's a good question. And, you know, you kind of mentioned something that, uh, you know, my goal really today was kind of to, you know, share information that I thought was, you know, critical for, you know, obtaining the position that you really want. And I feel like especially the younger clinicians, perhaps recent graduates, even if you're a couple of years out and maybe just not navigated very many job searches previously or compared them, um, you know, this is kind of the information that, that I feel will, you know, help equip you for, you know, that. So I do definitely feel like as you are become more seasoned as a clinician, some of this information you'll be exposed to. But, you know, when you're in graduate school and you're getting all this technical knowledge that you need to go out into the world and, and be a great, you know, clinician, navigating the job search and, and comparing the pros and cons of the different types of employers that information is not given to you in graduate school, and there's not really a one-stop shop resource, in my opinion, to you know compare and contrast all of them. So, um, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think some of this information might be better geared for for some of the uh, you know younger clinicians. You know, as far as growth, uh, you know, opportunities within, uh, you know, agencies, um, you know, I think it would kind of depend upon that agency, you know, to be honest, kind of how, you know, they are set up. I, I would assume that some of the larger kind of corporate type uh, employers might have a little bit more available, you know, in terms of, you know, growth opportunity versus, you know, a mom and pop shop, um, small employer, privately owned, or perhaps a private practice where it's, you know, one clinician and maybe they have a couple, um, you know, independent contractors working with them, you know, for example, m might not have that same growth opportunity available, you know. So I think that kind of comes with, you know, the comparison that we mentioned previously. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because I just... So don't discredit upward mobility within a contract company. Sure. Bottom line. There are there are options, but smaller company, not as many opportunities, larger company, more opportunities. Sure. Perfect. Okay. Wait, and and I found the survey. Okay. The 20 Hold on. That's a different page. The 2018 ASHA school survey. Remember, this is median, not right. mean, right. because this is hysterical. When you hear the numbers, you're going to be like, oh, that's amazing. The median salary for working 11 to 12 months across the nation was $72,000 a year. And everybody's like, ha, 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 um, because the average starting salary for a school-based SLP in the state of South Carolina is the same rate that a teacher makes. And the starting salary, I believe, is 33000 maybe 32500 So that's slightly below. Um, California has the highest um, median academic salary for a year of 85000 $834, but it's California, so it's not going to go too far. Um, and um, the median hourly wage for a contract employee in the school across the nation, um, if you worked full-time, is $50 an hour. But again, that's across the nation. So geographical dif differences. So um, I think they're going to do a 2020 survey because I think the way ASHA does it, they do a 2018 or they do an even year for school analysis and an odd year for a private practice medical analysis. So, um, but people, the number, the data is there. So what Morgan's getting at, when you go in, go in with your data, go in knowing your worth 
And a good contract company is going to embrace those questions. Yes, absolutely. And, and like I touched on previously, questions, 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 um, you know, in order to make the best informed decision, you know, for yourself. And, um, you know, those numbers that you touched on from ASHA, uh, the school, you know, compensation data, it's always fascinating uh, for me to see, um, you know, what ASHA says and and what the, you know, what the standard is, obviously ASHA being the standard and and what I see on my end. And, you know, that that 72,000 annual, you know, median number, that is higher, um, that is higher than the highest pay scale uh, for clinicians, and I'm just talking about masters. If you go you know, higher in your education, that that would that would change things. But that 72 number, that's higher than the highest pay scale on many of the adjacent states to us in South Carolina. You know, the southeast. Yes, it is. <laughs> 72 sounds great, but, uh, you know, you need to be in L.A. or, you know, whatever, like you talked about. But you would not, I mean, if $72,000 a year in L.A. and you would be living in a shared room. Right. That as well. (laughs) That as well. I'm sorry. We bust our butts. And when you actually sit down and look at the data, it's kind of like, hmm, well, that's depressing and alarming. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's, a, that's another thing, you know, when, when you are, you know, entering the job force or, you know, coming out of graduate school, or maybe you just want to make a, you know, a setting change is, um, you know, I'm not saying money is everything, um, but, you know, the schools, um, I think, have a little bit less, um, not retention, but a little bit less, you know, ability, financial flexibility um, than maybe if you are working directly for a hospital system, you know, per se. Uh, I know the medical setting is uh, typically compensating a pretty significant uh, amount more than, let's say, you're, you know, completing your clinical fellowship in the schools and have to abide by those state mandated uh, experience pay scales. Yes. Yes. Okay. So then I have, okay, I have like so many questions. I know, oh my there's stars. so I'm many like, layers to this and, and, and an hour is not enough to, to cover everything. <laughs> okay, at the end, please make sure that I, if I forget, wait, I'll go ahead and do it now. If someone has a question and they want to reach out to you directly, sure. how do they reach you? Sure, uh, email is always best. I'm happy to talk with anyone as well. But if anyone would like to contact me, um, I, I'd love to serve as you know a sounding board just to answer questions about job searches, you know, I'm specifically working with schools, so school-based contracts. If you want to ask me questions and you come to the determination that, uh, you know, an an agency is is not what you're interested in, that's not going to hurt my feelings either, you know. So um, feel free to contact me via email. Uh, It's Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N, at Elevation, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, healthcare.com. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. And and remind me to do that at at the end, at the end. Okay. So then another factor, something that I never did when I was first starting out, because I was honestly so intimidated in the job hunt process, like, because I awkward turtle, I have so much social anxiety when it comes to talking to people in public, which is really funny because I do this all freaking day, but like I do and interviews make me really nervous, but how does how would you recommend an applicant go about um, 
uh, asking for or stressing that they need assistance with um, student loan debt or ASHA dues or state dues or state licensing fees. Like we want to assert ourselves um, in the job market and assert ourselves as candidates, but like it's scary. So suggestions. So, you know, in terms of, um, you know, some of the things that you just mentioned, you know, I would be asking potential employers about benefits available to employees, not in terms of insurance benefits, but uh, do you reimburse for materials? Do you reimburse if I want to attend uh, the Skisha conference and it's X, Y, Z amount of dollars to attend? Um, Do you have... Uh, any sort of CEUs available to the company or, or, or reimbursable? Um, those are certainly questions that I would be asking of any employer um, that I'm potentially considering, you know, working for. Okay, so that's and that's standard practice. Like we should be, y'all. We should be doing this, but it's so much easier said in when you're practicing in a mirror than when it is when you're sitting at that table with sure okay and 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 that's a normal feeling i would stress to anyone listening um that you know an interview when 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 you are being asked questions by hiring authority you know across the table they're evaluating you as a clinician as an applicant as a job seeker um i always suggest that those interviews it's a 50 50 measuring if you will Um, You know, so you can ask them questions that are appropriate. And and I really think most questions, obviously, you can be inappropriate. But, you know, anything in terms of what you're looking for position wise, go for it. You know, the the worst, the worst that's going to happen is they give you an answer that that's maybe not favorable for you, you know, or you get a no. You know, that, that's the worst thing that's going to happen. Um, so feel free to ask, may I speak with a current or former employer? Because I'd like to hear about their experience working with you. I'm curious about the, um, you know, the culture. Ask them that. If they say no, you got a red flag. If they say yes, well, they're probably pretty confident in uh, the experience they're you know, employees have or have had previously. So, you know, ask those types of questions. What do some of your best therapists do to make them stand out? You know, you have an understanding then of how they decide who to hire. Uh, what's it take to be successful here? Uh, is that company vested in your success? If you're asking that question, um, you know, how is uh, success measured? Is it by training? Is it evaluations, performance? Productivity. Yeah. Sure. Productivity. That's okay. mm-hmm. Yes, that's that's a big one. Like, does the company have an does the company have a written productivity level or do they have an unwritten productivity level? Because if they if if y'all watch them unwritten productivity levels, because that's where the class action whistleblower lawsuits are winning, especially with a lot of the new regs out um, for nursing homes. Uh, major, there have been some major uh, findings in some of the sniffs because of the, I can't remember, it was a rug change or something. I don't know. I don't work in the geriatric world, but there's been several rehabilitation companies that were um, sued and the whistleblowers won their cases because of unethical productivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and to kind of follow up on that, you know, when you ask how how is, uh, you know, success measured, uh, you know, you get the answer to that. Well, well, would you help me set these goals? Would you help me get there? 
you know, um, basically setting yourself up for, is there mentorship available in this role with this company at this position? Uh, and if you, and that goes into the growth that goes into moving up within the company. So if they have mentorship, then that would, yes, 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 yes. Sorry. And and lastly, you know, you, you get answers on those that, that, that are favorable for you that you like, and you want to keep the, obviously the conversation going. Um, but you know, after that, what happens when I meet those goals? You know, you're already setting yourself up for, you know, a promotion or, or, or salary increase or perhaps just knowing what to do to get there while you're even in the interview process. Um, so you can really obtain a lot of information, you know, by asking, um, you know, the right, uh, the right questions. And it's not necessarily always about money. How do I earn more responsibility? Talking about the growth. Um, you know, I'm telling you that I'm vested in this company now because all these answers have checked out for me as the job seeker, you know, if that makes sense. Yes. Yes. No, it, it does. And I mean, you've been in it for seven years, you know, SLPs tend to be a little type A. I mean, there is a type B SLP Facebook page, which cracks me up because one of my dear friends is a member of it, but like, I am definitely not a type B. I've like, not seen that. I, I'd be curious to see that as well. That's funny. I think that's a hoot. I'm like, I've never met a type B SLP. <laughs> okay. All right. Now, this is just me. And I don't know if it's me be like, I don't know if this is nosy. And Morgan, you can tell me if I'm being nosy because you know me, but like, How does a school district or a um, a hospital system, like what happens behind the scenes and setting up contracts? Because that's the part that I've always I've always wondered about, because I mean, I've seen some of the places where folks are hiring and mm, I don't want to live there. (laughs) So, like, how did those contracts come to be. Sure. That's a good question. So um, I don't have a whole lot of experience on the medical side of things, the hospital side of things. Um, I've typically, and kind of what I've gathered um, coming from our owner, Stan, who who did work with different settings prior to us, just kind of finding the niche of the school-based contracts, kind of felt like there was more value to being a direct employee, um, you know, with the hospital systems. So I've not got a whole lot of experience setting up contracts with them, none, frankly. Um, School-based, however, um, felt like there was a little bit more value. I think the schools offer probably the most favorable schedules, no afternoons, weekends, you know, et cetera. Uh, We talked about some of those pay scales previously and contracting allows for a little bit of flexibility on the compensation front, uh, you know, in the school. So kind of found a, you know, a little niche uh, to answer your questions uh, or answer your question about, you know, maybe this is a school district where I'm not really interested in, in living. Well, that school district's probably one that that does need the outside help. Um, that school district might be rural or perhaps, um, um, you know, just an area of the country where there aren't, um, you know, new clinicians moving to frequently. And, uh, you know, some of the smaller school districts, maybe there's only a handful, maybe one or two, depending on, you know, the speech needs, um, you know, within that district. And you have someone retire and no one's moved to that area. Well, now they're they're using outside resources to hopefully find, attract clinicians to that area. Um, but, you know, as far as, you know, why or how all the school districts, when they're short staffed, they're, they're going to look at all the resources available to them. So it, it's not uncommon for several different agencies to be working to fill one role at one school district. So that's not. I didn't common. know that that happened. I thought it would just be like with one contract company. They like send out to like multiple contract companies. Yes. Um, yes and no. Um, I think 
I was just going to, you know, kind of say that, you know, if, if, if you're a school district and you need an SLP yesterday, caseloads are going up, we're falling behind evals, little Johnny's not been seen yet, whatever the case may be, they're going, who can, who, who can help me right now? You know, so of course they're going to use all resources available to them, which I understand. Um, now, yeah, because they're out of compliance for the IAP, which, yes, which is a legal matter right. for them in addition to tiny human falling behind. Right. Yeah. Sure. And, um, you know, it's not to, to say that every contracted position is some desperate last minute, oh my gosh, we just need a body. You know, it, uh, it's not saying that by any means, but, um, you know, the school districts, they'd always prefer to have district folks. That's always their preference. We understand that. It's unfortunately not a reality for most school districts out there to be completely fully staffed, you know, related service provider wise. So, of course, they're going to use all the resources available to them. Okay. What about a non, is it a non-complete or non, non-compete clause? Non-compete call, that, clause. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. So when the school district that I was working in as an SLPA-ish, okay. <laughs> gotta love that. Um, the, I asked the woman that was leaving, I was like, how come you just won't come work here? Right. And she said she had a non-compete clause, mm-hmm. Right. put my L's in the wrong spot. Um, what, what is that? Sure. Good question. So a non-compete clause is typically entered into a contract. And again, I'm just speaking from school-based contracts. Um, yes, 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 yes. Um, entered in there, um, to, I guess, um, disallow for a contracted SLP to work directly for that school district the following school year. And I can explain. Yes, that's I, that's what she said. Right. I can explain why our agency uh, implemented that. Um, we had a clinician working with us, and um, she was having a good experience with us. She was having a good experience at the school district she was working within and serving. And a new special education director came in and explained that in order for you to return next year, you have to be a district employed SLP. We are no longer going to employ contracted clinicians. So if you want to stay here, you need to become a district employee. Well, she liked it there. She liked the area. I believe she had kids in the district at the time. It made sense for her. Okay. Well, the following school year, um, you know, first day of school, new director during the summer comes in and first day of school shows up the following school year. And there are new clinicians on staff via a different agency because that school district wasn't able to fill all of their vacancies over the summer. So she, uh, she took a pay cut, frankly. Um, and at that point didn't really feel like the district had been transparent, you know, and honest with her. Um, so that didn't sit well. So that's why we've implemented, um, that for us specifically, uh, really for the protection of, you know, our employees so that they aren't forced, um, into, uh, district employment or direct employment, if that's not their preference, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, it does. Because she was, yeah, it was interesting. The need was still there and, you know, she didn't feel like it it, it had been a transparent conversation with her, you know, at that point. Yeah. No. if, if, If something were to, you know, an opportunity or a situation were to present itself and, um, you know, it made sense for all parties involved and, and, and you know, that's not going to be something that I would think that most reasonable employers would stay in the way of. 
Yeah, no, because grace and kindness, we all want to receive it. So we should all extend it. Sure. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So um, this just gets me back to the moving thing. Mm -hmm. So one of my girlfriends did this. Um, She was, she's actually an OT. She's a phenomenal OT. She taught me all, well, she taught me one to shut up and two wait for a latency period. So like, I love her (laughs) and she very much y'all I'm, (laughs) she crystals, a goddess and I love her. And she helped me handle boo bear when he was a tiny little bitty human. And now we're, we're working through our zones of regulations. Morgan, have you ever heard of the zones of regulations? I've not. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. You don't have tiny humans of your own yet, do you? Oh, no, ma'am. Oh, okay. Yes. Okay. So zones of regulation is when you're happy, you're green. When you're not happy, you could be a yellow. When you're really not happy, you're a red. And we've been doing that with Theo um, uh, the other day. I was like, honey, you're a red. I'm going to need you to be a green. And he goes, I need to go to yellow. I just need to simmer. I was <laughs> like, all right, baby. Uh, he's, got simmer he's got a secret down. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. He knows. But like, he also knows he needs to remove himself from the situation, simmer over there. And then when you're green you can rejoin the family dinner but like chill but this is what happens my children get hangry just like their mother low blood sugars are legit okay but when um when my girlfriend crystal did it like she uh for her contract she got into the contract she loved doing doing the travel Mm mm-hmm but she was in for three months and um, the facility asked her to extend for an additional three months. She said, absolutely. Her company that she was um, contracted with said, absolutely. At the end of six months or when she was coming up on like the six months of being there, they asked her to stay for an additional three months. And the contract company that she was working for said no. And I was like, but you're happy. And she was like, I know. And she was happy where she was. And the facility, the, the physical building she was in was happy. So, like, that's one of, like, those sticky wicky situations that I've always worried about, like, with contracts. Like, how – what is the role and responsibility of the employee and the contract company owner? You see what I'm saying? Like, give guidance, please. Sure, sure. Well, you know, travel therapy um, is is kind of its own animal, you know, in my opinion. Um, we, we did that a little bit previously. And, you know, we were running that same problem. I, I, I'm trying to fill a role that's only three months long, and I'm trying to find a top-notch clinician for it. And now all of a sudden, I don't have any work for them after three months, you know. So, um, we were we were running that a little bit, which was tough. Um, and, you know, as far as, you know, employees you know, responsibility there, you know, in, in our eyes, if employee is happy, I'm going to do everything I can to, to, to make that work. You know, I'm, I'd be curious as to the why um, that that third, I guess, three month assignment wasn't uh, allowed or, or granted, or if, if, if all parties were, were good there, and the need was still there. Um, you know, I'm not sure why that wouldn't have worked out for her. Uh, that's, that's exactly, I know. That's what we kept coming back to. So she ended up just leaving the contract company and taking um, a permanent position elsewhere. But it was, it really stunk because she was, she was happy. But it just kind of, yeah. Sure. And, and, and you know, that is kind of looping back into what I said about asking questions. And, and kind of evaluating that and understanding the terms of employment, you know, and, and understanding the duration of the contract that you're looking into. And, and some folks like that flexibility. I speak with folks um, every now and then 
you know, about our services and, and my contracts are typically a 12 month school year calendar contract. And they're going, no, I want to be somewhere new in three months. So kind of going back to the soul searching point that we talked about at the beginning, perhaps someone is comfortable with going from California to the Arizona desert and into Texas. And, you know, they're just kind of going along with it. Um, so, you know, kind of dependent upon the job seekers, you know, needs and wants, like we talked about. Itchy feet. That's what my dad calls Itchy them. Feet. <laughs> yeah. Itchy feet. Yeah. Yeah. Cause Whenever, whenever we get um, restless, when when your soul is restless, you need to get up and move. I mean, for us, it ends up meeting tall trees in a lake somewhere. But sure. I mean, everybody's got their their spot, right? Right. right. So, okay. Um, there was a couple of resources that I wanted to give out, um, y'all. Before before this episode, I was at a a, a little one's house because we're called to go where we are called to go, and they were. Um, uh, they, they smoke a lot. And when you work in home health, this happens sometimes, but I actually had to Febreze myself, including my hair, because I couldn't quite catch my breath after the, um, the Newport. So if I am breathy today, I apologize. Um, but case raw, um, I also almost got stuck in a mud hole, but that's rainy in South Carolina today, rain in South Carolina and dirt roads. Yeah. Okay. So on the careers.asha.org website, they actually have a determining the salary calculator. And I know I have said this multiple times before, but you want to know where your ASHA dues go? Well, then actually get on the ASHA website and check it out. Um, they have <clears throat> listed here um, uh, a calculator, how to um, like, you know, what to ask for. They again, break it down by geographic location. They have, I like this one. They have best places to live and a sunshine and rainbow city that I know um, in the southeast part of South Carolina is on there. But they also have something that's a really cool web um, on there. It's a PDF. It's called the Supply and Demand Resource List for Speech Language Pathologist. And it talks about um, potential growth. And this is a fantastic quote. An additional 41,900 SLPs will be needed in our career field to fill the demand anticipated between 2018 and 2028. It's a 27% increase in job openings, which gets me back to a point that we've made in other podcasts. If you are not a clinical supervisor, please pay it forward and be a clinical supervisor. Because we have a funnel effect right now where we have more applicants into the grad programs than we have schools, then we have more students than we have clinical supervisors. And now we're on this massive demand, which gets me to the next question. Where can, when you are doing a contract position, one, do you accept, do most contract positions accept clinical fellows? Two, are there set guidelines? Is it common to have set guidelines for clinical fellowship support? And three, this is a lot of questions. I'm sorry, Morgan. Um, can you be a clinical supervisor and still work a contract position? Sure. Good questions. Um, to answer your first one, I would say that most agencies do accept 
uh, clinical fellows. Um, I would say that, you know, for us personally, it is kind of dependent upon the school district that we've partnered with, you know, and their needs. Uh, there's a couple different ways that we can kind of work around. Um, let's say they don't have a clinician on staff available or time available to supervise. There, there could be um, something, you know, perhaps we go and find a clinician in the area or compensate someone on the side, you know, that sort of thing. Um, personally, our preference, we would always prefer if a school district um, and we had a clinical fellow, and this would be certainly um, figured out before anyone signed any papers or agreed to the contract, you know, et cetera. But, um, you know, having someone who works within that district, um, you know, you'd be surprised um, at how adjacent school districts in the same state uh, operate differently, different leadership styles, different special education directors' thoughts on certain things. So having a supervisor, a clinician who's familiar with the people, the protocols in that district. Hey, I've got this problem. Who do I go to? That's always our preference. We feel like that is of most value to the clinical fellows working with us or even within a school district itself. Um, so that's kind of our thought, uh, you know, I guess on that. Um, I would say that um, we don't, but maybe some of the larger kind of corporate agencies that we talked about uh, earlier in the podcast. Perhaps they have some sort of CF uh, supervisor program. I know some of the larger companies actually have someone who travels around and supervises all the various CFs in you know, a particular area, which is, uh, you know, could be a good thing. Um, you know, that person's probably very seasoned, uh, that clinician rather, probably very seasoned and, and familiar with supervising. But, you know, that, that's kind of different from what I just spoke about in terms of I'm a CF, I'm in the schools for the first time, aside from uh, perhaps, a, you know, a position while I was in graduate school. And my CF supervisor is not only in the building, she can't talk to me until Thursday. Well, guess what? Um, I have a pressing issue now. <laughs> so, you know. Yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just like, yes, because my <laughs> clinical fellowship, my CF supervisor, bless it. She showed up once every three months to sell me Mary Kay. <laughs> so like, I bought a ridiculous amount of Mary Kay, which made go. my face break out. Mm. I was actually allergic to like whatever ingredient was in some of the products, but like I bought a lot, right? Because my CF was dependent on that, but that's okay. But folks, that's, that's it. When you're going into this stuff, you're allowed to ask those questions and and get a straightforward, honest answer. Okay. And just to debunk another myth, um, excuse me, a lot of people are afraid that if you start a CF somewhere and if it's not a right fit for you, that you have to stay for the duration of your clinical fellow. I failed as a clinical fellow mentor, not once, but twice, because on the first go around, um, about two and a half months into being a clinical fellow um, supervisor, I got put on emergency bed rest for Theodore. And like, I was only like five months long. So like... That kind of went kaputs for the rest of the pregnancy. So we had, you can change clinical fellow mentors. The other, the second time, um, she ended up leaving the small private practice and taking a contract job. And I, Mika, if you're listening, I adore you. I adore your pictures. And she, as soon as I saw her smile from her heart on her Instagram of her doing the three-month travels, I was like, <laughs> that's what she needed. Yep. She found 
her niche. Mm -hmm. And it was one of the most beautiful things to see because every time her, like, you know, I, I follow my former students, I follow my peoples and it brings me joy to see them finding their calling within our profession. Sure. And that's, that's so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yes, you can change. And there's like a ton of resources on that, but yes. So please everybody check out the supply and demand, check out the determining, your salary. Um, and, um, there are, if you get on that website, careers.asha.org, they have, um, jobs listing, um, jobs listed available. And a lot of them are contract positions. So, um, you know, be sure that you, you go through and, you know, you're, you're, you can post a job, you can find a job. There are those resources there. Um, also behind the scenes, um, and in case you did not know it, you can contact ASHA directly um, and you can get guidance from them. That's what they're there for. Um, God forbid you're in one of those positions where you're a CF and you need an answer today, but you can't reach your mentor till Thursday. Um, they have, um, uh, you can call and they have actual lines for help for medical or for school-based clinicians, and you can post a question to them. Sure. And so that's a really good, that's a, that's a really good resource there too. Um, okay. We, we had all of our questions at the start of this, but we have gone in like 1400 different directions and I love it. Um, we have, um, four minutes left. So with our four minutes left, what would you recommend for anybody considering a contact contract position, regardless of if they're a CF or if they've been at this for a while? Um, I know I have one friend that just did it because she's an empty nester now. And she was like, I'm retired. I'm going back as a contractor. I was like, cool. So what recommendations do you have? My recommendations, if you are not familiar with agencies or not sure um, who to work with, um, I would recommend having several conversations. Um, maybe not every, We're different. yes, several conversations with different companies, different recruiters, um, go out and, uh, you know, pick, pick a handful. I would not talk to all hundreds out there, uh, that do, <laughs> but, uh, you know, there are, a, a fair few. <laughs> there are a lot, there are a lot. Um, I would go have several conversations. Um, I would find a recruiter who knows what they're talking about. I would find a recruiter who has connections to an area that you're interested in living in. I would find a recruiter uh, or an agency who could actually provide value to you in your job search. Um, you'll be able to quickly pick up on who's been doing this for a little while, who's knowledgeable. Um, I would seek transparency in everything. If they can't talk with you about where they think they can pay you, and I'm not saying that they need to answer with immediately, yes, we can pay X, Y, Z uh, pay rates. But if they're not really into that conversation, uh, if they're setting you up on an interview where you're not sure which district or which schools you're going to be serving or what the caseload numbers might be, or uh, really any aspect of the position you're not gotten an answer to, I'd be wary of that. Um, there's Wait, no I have a question on that. Sure. I have a question to my question. When... When you go to interview, so say you find the contract company that works for you, right. do you then get to interview the school district or the like those people directly as well? Or is it, no, this is your school? Sure. Good question. Um, you Sorry. Know, when, when I, no, yeah. No, when I, when I am, you know, I kind of work two angles. Job seekers come to me, clinicians, hey, I'm looking for XYZ position and I go out and find it. School districts call me, hey, Morgan, I need an SLP. Here's the 
caseload, uh, position, school served, you know, uh, so work both angles. There's always going to be a conversation for us between the school district and the clinician. I just help to facilitate that. Okay. And one other question to the sure. question, sorry. Um, does it have to be full-time or are part-time, can you do part-time work as a contractor? Sure. There's definitely part-time work available out there. Um, I, I, I think there's probably a, an FTE in the school world or, or hours per Wait, week. full-time employee. Sorry, right, translate. Right. Yeah. Sorry. Yes, sorry. Um, th- there's all sorts of different durations hours worked, you know, et cetera. And I, I think anyone, any job seeker will be able to find, you know, what they are looking for, you know, in my opinion. Now, having said that, as a school-based contract uh, employer, I'm not really going to be able to provide anyone hours in the evenings or weekends. All my folks are working in the schools on a regular bell schedule. So, you know, that's something. What happens prepare. during the summer? So for, if- go ahead. Yeah, if they're a contract employee during the summer, do they not get paid? That's correct. You know, and, and really the, the short answer for that is, you know, I'm billing the school district for speech services. And if the employee or clinician is not physically at school providing those services, I can't bill the school district. Thus, I can't, you know, compensate, you know, our employee in that situation. Um, you know, it, it, it sounds, oh, my gosh, three months without a paycheck. You know, I've never done this before. Um, you know, that, that can be intimidating. I, I think just kind of just hearing it. But, you know, I would also remind a clinician that, sure, you know, the, the numbers that we talked about earlier, what was it, uh, the 33,000 average starting, you know, in the schools? Or Salary around to work in the schools. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, that number, if you're working on contracts, should be uh, significantly higher. So you're being paid more <laughs> over 10 months. So, you know, hopefully you've been able to put some away right exactly yeah and then and then there's also the summer schools options for folks to contact through Mm -hmm. yeah because i've done that i've actually had direct hires in the past just direct hire Mm -hmm. to like do evals and like for the summer just which is yeah so okay i we okay now we only have like one minute so is there anything else that you wanted to get in your one minute because i had 1400 questions i'm so sorry uh you know i feel like we covered a lot i feel like there's still a lot of more information out there that uh we didn't get to touch on but uh, i really appreciate you having me on uh today uh it's really uh you know an honor to be here Uh, i was looking at the first bite website and scrolling through some of those older episodes and you know i saw uh, a lot of familiar faces and, and names um i know you just spoke with uh with jill eversman looks like you did some asl and yes. uh, gotta give steven a shout out i'm a guitar guy so speech and language songs <laughs> is is about the coolest thing I, I i've seen lately in our world and uh also oh. uh jen and patty uh up from va uh tots and teens therapy um good people good friends of ours and uh you know i appreciate you including me with uh some of these folks uh, absolutely. We, the, um, this has been such a blessing because, you know, I put, we, um, folks behind the scenes, I put a pr- prayer over every single episode that his message is supposed to be out there. Cause somebody needs to hear whatever it is that we cover. 
And um, so this is just an amazing folks have been brought our way to do this, including amazing folks that keep roses and mop buckets on Valentine's <laughs> Day. <laughs> so, okay. We got several mop buckets. You got <laughs> oh, that's awesome. All right. Okay. So real quick, one more time. What is your email address in case somebody has a question? Sure. It's Morgan, M-O-R-G-A-N at Elevation, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, healthcare.com. Perfect. Okay. So there it is. So if you want to reach out to Morgan, oh, and he is on um, Elevations on LinkedIn. And you'll ha- don't y'all have a Facebook page? Y'all We're have a Facebook LinkedIn, page. LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. Um, personally, I have a, a, a personal LinkedIn account as well. Uh, pretty active on there. That That's a great way to get a hold of me. But um, email is good. Um, and uh, if you come across, you know, our, our website, phone numbers are listed as well. Uh, you know, as a recruiter, uh, my information is all over the place. So I'm pretty <laughs> <good>. <laughs> uh, That's right. Uh, perfect. Okay. Well, hold on one second so I can switch over to questions. Okay. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. Mm-hmm.